Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. As usual, Drew here with Josh and Connor, but a fun surprise, uh, we have Dan Orlowitz coming on later in the show to talk all things about uh, different leagues around the world, getting fans back in as MLS is planning to have fans in the later part of the season. So big thanks to Dan, and we will be getting to that later in the episode. But before then, we have a lot of MLS to talk about going from the semifinals uh, to transfer news, transfer rumors, and getting ready for the final. But before our usual long episode, Josh, how was your week? It was, it was pretty good. The uh, semifinal games last week were were pretty entertaining, and uh, yeah, you know, just a, just another week of getting by. Nothing too crazy happening. I was able to get outdoors. I got onto Drew knows the the Chattahoochee River, which is a one of the bigger rivers in Georgia. So I got out last week and got super sunburned and just floated down and got away from it all a little bit. So that was fun. It's okay. It's all tan now. I I I take care of myself. <laughs> I see skin cancer in your future. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I hope not either, because that is not fun. Uh, I'm doing good, because of course I am. Well, I say that, but my hockey team sucks. Uh, but we're not going to get into that, because <laughs> otherwise I won't shut up. Um, yeah, excited for the final tomorrow night. Uh, I think I might do a piece on the final broadcast, talking about everything that they've sort of done throughout uh, the tournament, especially from a media perspective, which obviously I'm a sport media student, uh, sort of look at like camera angles and different things they've tried and the issues that happen when the ball goes a certain height in the air and the billboard somehow gets rid of it. Um, but it's always fun. We'll see. Yeah, I'll probably procrastinate and forget to do it, but hopefully this holds my holds me to it. Drew, how are you doing this week? 
I'm doing good. Um, unlike Connor's beloved Toronto Maple Leafs, the Vancouver Canucks won, so they're going on to the Stanley Cup playoffs, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, playoffs are always stressful. So that was good. Um, semifinal games are fun, getting ready for the final. And I, it was kind of a bummer today. I feel like we should mention this. Um, Sam Mewis of the North Carolina Courage just got a deal with Manchester City. So she's going to be going to England. So that was kind of a bummer to see. Such a good player for the Courage and the women's national team heading off to City. I, though, I think it's just like a one-year thing. I think it's like a temporary loan. Yeah, I um, wanted to say, I don't yeah. know... Normally, when the U.S. women's national team players go off to play in, you know, Australia or I don't know if anyone's played in England yet, they usually it seems like they just do it for playing time and then they come back. But the way she was posting that farewell message say to the fans, I think it got a few people wondering if this is like a permanent thing or if she actually is going to be back. So I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, she. I think the I don't know the whole details of the contract, but I know she. I think she can extend her stay at the club to make it a little more permanent. Because um, I know Rose Lavelle is also rumored to be going to Manchester City too. So, And there's like a lot of questions about if the NWSL is going to be coming back. But yeah, I'm with you, Josh. That message was not very I'm coming back-ish. It was very I'm gone to City for a while. Um, although the Courage do have her NWSL rights, so maybe that's a little positive note for the Courage. But yeah, that was kind of a bummer to see such a good player leave as NWSL is winding down. Um, so, yeah, it was a lot of fun weeks. How are the Raptors doing, Connor? I know the Leafs are struggling, but are the Raptors keeping it up? Uh, that's one way to put it for the Leafs. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, the Raptors are doing well. They're playing the Bucks like, right now, um, even though Kyle Lowry, Fred VanVleet, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Serge Ibaka all aren't playing. Uh, so it's not really that big a game. They've clinched second in the East for NBA, which is sick um they're still killing it they were undefeated going into that celtics game and promptly fell apart and lost by 20 but we'll ignore that because they had nothing to play for um i claim but yeah nhl who did the canucks have in the first round again wild being 3-1 now we get to play the defending stanley cup champions the st louis blues have fun with that series i'm Um, excited about it (laughs) You should be. Uh, that's going to be a very good series. So if you're interested in hockey, I'd recommend starting to watch it because it's going to get very, very hectic, especially that bruins Kane series. That's going to be Canes. really, really good. Yes, I agree with that. That's one thing we can both agree on. The I hate bruins the Bruins. Suck. Oh, man, never forget. Sam Minton, that's pointing right at you. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's been a good week in soccer. Uh, obviously, the potential move to Manchester City is huge, joining Janine Becky, who's the Canadian international who plays for them. Um, so it's interesting to see a lot of movement towards Europe for the more North American national team players. Uh, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jesse Fleming moved to Chelsea. So we'll see if this starts a trend. Maybe Europe becomes more of an option for North Americans, but that sort of remains to be seen. What are your guys sort of thoughts on that? I think it's. I think you bring up a good point. We're definitely seeing a lot of movement to Europe, to Europe, which you also see sort of reflected in last year's World Cup in the summer. The European teams definitely played a lot stronger. Obviously, Netherlands made it all the way to the final against the U.S. and France and Spain posed really big challenges for the U.S. as well on, on their way to the final. So, another player as well, Sam Kerr. Or didn't she just go to Chelsea? Yeah, from Chicago, Red Stars. Yeah, so that's another player to leave the NWSL and go to the WSL. I think 
what we're start going to start to see with women's soccer is the European teams finally put in the proper resources and building up these leagues, and you're going to see plenty of players go over there. I mean, you think about clubs like Chelsea, Man City, they've already got so much infrastructure on the men's side. It could very, it could be very easy for them to, to build up infrastructure on the women's side. So uh, what do you think about all these moves, Drew? I think it's you can bring up a good point with the infrastructure. Obviously, clubs like Manchester City, Manchester United, um, I know Barcelona, and I think Real Madrid is getting women's team as well pretty soon, so even Spain is getting in on it. Um, and you get to the French teams, the PSG, Lyons, who are obviously incredible. But it's really frustrating because I feel like MLS could have something similar to that because you have so many teams owned or co-owned, I guess, rather, with MLS clubs like the Portland Thorns, Houston Dash, Orlando Pride. And it feels like maybe just not enough money is being flooded into those teams to build up solid sides. Um, so it is pretty frustrating to see not as much money getting into the women's game, but I think you're starting to see that change with people finally waking up to the fact that people will watch women's soccer. We saw that with the World Cup. Um, we're seeing that now with 25,000 people showing up to Thorns games. So I think going to Europe might be a larger trend, especially if these big-time European clubs pump in the money that they have. Um, and honestly, on the NWSL side here in the States, it's going to be up to those clubs to kind of match it as much as they can and put money into their own teams to keep these players because, you know, that's a big attendance driving point is going to Washington Spirit games to watch Rose Lavelle and, you know, and those players play. So if the NWSL isn't careful and they don't pump in the money that Europe's pumping into it, they might see a lot of the women's national team stars leaving. And like Connor said, with Canada as well, Janine, Becky, Jesse Fleming, um, talents that let, that don't play in the NWSL that are some of the best in the world. So I think the NWSL, this is a big wake-up call, and it's they need to pump in the money to not lose these players all to Europe. Uh, Connor, what do you think about it? Uh, I think it's amazing to see this investment in Europe. I think this will hopefully turn into a bidding war between the NWSL and uh, Europe as we see them start to realize that women's sports are very, very good and can be incredibly profitable if you do it correctly. And so far, it appears as though both the NWSL and uh, Europe are doing that. So to see that influx in investment, I think is huge. Uh, and will hopefully pave the way for other women's sports to do just as well, whether that be basketball with the WNBA gaining more traction or the N uh, hockey with the NWHL and them continuing to continuing to expand into Toronto, which I've mentioned a couple times on this podcast. Uh, I think it's just really good to see that investment in women's sports because it's something that's really lacked up until now. And look, I am coming from this uh, on a biased point of view. My cousin did play professional women's hockey, um, both in Europe for a year, and then she came back and played for the Markham and Brampton Thunder in the CWHL. But it's very clearly possible and they've broken down a lot of barriers especially in hockey when you look at the cwhl had two teams in china and they were doing games in china and in north america so it just shows that this sort of intercontinent play and different investment in whether it be the asian market or european market or wherever is very possible and i think that's a really good outcome for women's sports and sports in general as more competition means better product. Um, let's sort of, I guess, move on to 
better product in MLS because obviously we are an MLS podcast, although we do talk about women's sports, uh, especially women's soccer quite a bit um, because it is an emerging market and we all enjoy watching it. Um, There was a pretty big move today and one that I didn't really see coming and I don't think many people actually saw coming. Uh, Blaise Matuidi is the Juventus French uh, defensive midfielder He's played in Europe for a long time. He won a World Cup with France. Um, overall, good player. And he signed with Inter-Miami today. What are your guys... Well, I don't know if it's officially signed, but the rumors are that he is going to sign uh, with Inter-Miami. What are your guys' sort of thoughts on this signing? And what do you think about it for Inter-Miami? I'm pretty surprised. You know, like you said, Connor, I think a lot of people are surprised. This seemed like came out of nowhere. I think reports about it started dropping like yesterday afternoon initially. And then from there, just it picked up steam very quickly. And now you're, you're getting a lot of solid reporting. And it, it sounds like it's, it's a done deal. It's just waiting an official announcement, which speaking of the transfer window, I believe opens on Wednesday. So we're probably going to start seeing tons of these official announcements. But that being said, I am extremely skeptical of this signing. I think it's a little risky whenever you go for a midfielder in his 30s, specifically in this case with Matuidi. He's 33, I think it is, and will be 34 very soon. And I believe reports are saying that's a three-year contract. So I think this leans towards the side of risk that being said he's obviously a quality player just won the world cup with france in 2018 you know he's been all over europe and then obviously coming from juventus is a big deal so does he make an immediate impact for miami absolutely but is this a smart investment long term i think is the important question you know the only other closest move would be victor wanyama but he's 28 so he's still basically in his prime he has been dealing with injuries but that's something that could be fixed. Um, but you look back at like Andrea Pirlo and Frank Lampard, they didn't really do too much. And so, you know, I don't know if that was a product of being in NYCFC at an early time in the club's history or whether it was because they were in their 30s and midfielders. So I think it's easier to be a striker and to be in your 30s in MLS. And I think people sort of underestimate how much better MLS is now. So that's uh, that's sort of my thoughts on that. Yeah, I think you bring a good point up with the length of the contract. I didn't know it was a three-year deal. Um, the uh, Getting 36 by the time that deal is running out and you're nearing that end of your career. But I think it's Miami, right? They haven't won a game in every game they've lost in the regular season and in the MLS's back tournament has been by one goal. Um, so I think Miami's looking a lot for just a player to help bridge that gap. Um, you have Leandro Gonzalez-Perez coming in the center back in defense. That might help that. And now my Tweedy might also come and help that bridge that gap from instead of losing a goal, maybe you're getting those draws, you're getting those wins. Um, but yeah, I mean, the guy knows how to win. He won a World Cup. He's been with Juve and PSG. Um, I, think, I don't think it's official yet. Um, I think they're still waiting on a medical for him to officially join the team. Um, but it's, you know, I think... The move did come out from left field for me. I was expecting Cavani to happen because I know those rumors have been flirting around. I don't know if that's legit or not, but I've seen Cavani and Miami together a lot. But, yeah, he's going to be in that midfield. Um, and I thought Miami's chances weren't so much finishing, but they were more creating chances. And hopefully he'll help create chances for Miami for a new team. Um, and I do want to point out, 
um, a contributor, Alex Winley for MLS Multiplex. She's our inner Miami writer. She put out a really good story about the signing and what he can do for the team. So I encourage you to go check that out. But it's exciting, I guess. I'm getting a player of that quality. Maybe he'll come in and, like Josh said, see that MLS is better than maybe the public perception is in Europe. Um, but I'm excited. It definitely came out of nowhere. Um, but we'll see how he does. It definitely a solid player to add in the midfield for sure. Real quick, before your thoughts, Connor, I wanted to say we can't underestimate LGP's um, contribution in the attack either because, yes, he's a center back, but you know, we, Drew and I, we can't tell you how many times he helped start an Atlanta attack or start a counterattack or distribute to begin the attacking phase of play. So he's also an important piece as well, and I think you're right. Both of those guys going in can make a big difference. Go ahead, Connor. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I don't really see this signing going badly. I think he's got enough pedigree and enough talent that he was still playing for Juventus. Uh, the last guy who played for Juventus and came to MLS did a pretty good job. Um, <laughs> tons of bias in that statement. Uh, and that guy came off the bench. So I don't think we can underlie just how important and how big of a signing this could be for Miami. Um, I think it'll help a lot with their set up and will give Pizarro a lot more freedom in the attack because uh, he won't have to come back and try to challenge to get the ball back as much. He'll sort of have that link to really create more attack, uh, create more options. They still definitely need a striker um, or a bona fide number nine, but I think they can still fill that void. Uh, but yeah, I like the move. I think you bring in a guy who's won a World Cup and who's played for one of the best teams in Europe, you can't really go wrong with that unless it's going to just completely backfires and there's some other issues that we don't know about. Um, I think with Pirlo and Lampard, it's a bit of a different situation because I think they came a little bit later in their careers. And being 33, he isn't quite at the end of his career yet, I'd say. He's still got a couple good years left in him, and I'm sure the three-year contract helped bring him over because I could definitely see him having other options in Europe. But... Who knows? We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Um, for all we know, he, this could have been his only option. Um, and we also don't even know if this is actually going to happen because this hasn't been confirmed by the club or Matuidi. Uh, it's, I think there's only been like one report of it. And it seemed pretty legit, but we don't know if it's 100% going to happen. Uh, let's move on to a couple other transfers because there were a couple other potential transfers uh, in MLS. First one being Cecilio uh, Dominguez. He's a player who played in the South America. Uh, I believe he played for Independiente in Argentina. Uh, very talented, quick. He's good on the ball. He's a wide player, and he's apparently, or there are rumors, that he's going to sign with Austin FC. I don't know if you guys saw those rumors. Yeah. This is now the second Paraguayan player, I think, connected with Austin. They obviously signed the first, and uh, his name, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. But, um, I, and I think it's, it's seeming like this deal is going to get done. It seems like it's all but done. So I think this just sort of tells us where Austin is at in terms of how they're building their squad. Definitely staying with the, the South American pipeline that we've become so accustomed to in the last four or five years. So I think that's interesting in the way that they're building out. And I am I am very curious as to how the rest of the team is going to get built because 
This is Claudio Reyna, who is in charge of building the squad as the GM or technical director, whichever his position is. And I think this is going to be a lot different than how he handled things at NYCFC because with with NYCFC, you had the city football group at your disposal. You had all these scouts all over the world. And that's how you get players like Bear and Alexandru Mitrita and Alexander Ring and, and just players from all over. They're, they just signed the Icelandic winger and the Scottish winger, Gary McKay-Stevens. So they, they have a far-reaching scouting network. And that's why NYCFC tends to get players from all over the world, not necessarily one spot. Whereas you see like a team like Atlanta United or LAFC, they tend to hit one specific area. And so I'm curious to see how Reyna is going to do that. So far, it looks like he's going in Paraguay, which is probably a smart thing to do. That's where Miguel Almiron came from. He's probably the most popular example. And even at that, there were a few Paraguayan players that Atlanta United were heavily linked to at the start of the season. At the start of the season, so that's that's something to to keep an eye out on. I think. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the signing. I very much am a big fan of the South American pipeline. I'm liking that Austin FC is continuing it. And yeah, like he played Independiente in Argentina, which I believe that's where Ezekiel Barco played in Argentina before. So MLS has a history of going down to Independiente. Um, really good talent, obviously, in Argentina. And I think he also played in Club America in Mexico. I don't know how long he played there, but so that's really good. And I know... I believe the player talking about Josh is Ronnie Reyes. Yes. Um, I think, yeah. And Daniel Garza put out a story on the website, so go check it out. And Reyes and Dominguez have the same agent. So this, yeah, I, I read that. And I was like, oh, man, that's interesting. But so that, um, it looks like this deal is going to be done. When I saw they have the same agent, that kind of put pink to paper, pen to paper for me. But, yeah, I'm a big fan of them continuing this pipeline, going down to really good clubs in South America and developing players. I think he's only 25. Um, so maybe a little older than I think. I know Atlanta got Barco. He was like 18 or 19. So this is a little older. And I think Reyes is 20 years old. Um, so Dominguez is a little more into his career. But nonetheless, maybe he's going to stay in MLS longer than some of these players intend to. But I think it's a great signing. I'm excited to see Austin FC signing really high-quality players. I don't know if he's a DP or how that's going to be if the deal goes through. I haven't seen those details yet. But I'm a big fan of the signing. I like going down to South America and getting young players. Uh, Connor, what are your thoughts on Austin FC's potential signing? Exactly what you said. Um, I like it. I think it's a good addition for them. Um, I can only see it being positive for them. Uh, It depends on how much they're paying him, obviously, and whether or not he is a DP, because we don't know at this point. Uh, But I don't really have an issue with it. I think look, it's a risk you want to take. And if you can get good South American players, that's really positive for MLS because it means that you're starting to pull ahead of those South American leagues. And you want MLS to do that. You want MLS to to be the best league in the Americas. And poaching talent from Mexico and from South America, I think is huge. Um, But yeah, I think we should sort of Move on to, well, I guess we'll quickly hit this because I think we should mention it. Jack Harrison, uh, former NYCFC and Chicago Fire player, uh, has apparently agreed to a loan move from Manchester City to Leeds United, who are brand new to the Premier League after winning promotion. So hopefully we'll get to see the former MLS guy um, have a go in uh major major premier league is a potential huge piece for leads uh do you guys have any sort of thoughts on that quickly 
Yeah, I was surprised they didn't sign him permanently because he's been on loan with them for the last year anyway. And I'm actually playing as Leeds United in a FIFA career mode. He's easily the best player. So I'm excited to see what he can do in the Premier League. I think he, he can do some great things. But again, I'm surprised that either he didn't want to join Leeds permanently or they didn't want him permanently or City didn't want to let him go because obviously he's been loaned out a couple times now between playing at NYCFC, Leeds, and I want to say there was a team in between as well. But uh, yeah, just super excited to see a former MLS product uh, playing in the Premier League. And real quick, speaking of of former MLS product, former NYCFC player Andrea Pirlo, which we mentioned earlier, is now the head coach manager of Juventus, which... It's pretty insane. One of my friends is a good, a, a big Pirlo fan, and he was telling me all about how Pirlo was signing as a U23 coach, which he was eight days ago before the, before he made the move to first-team manager. Very impressive career path so far as a coach, I must say. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but so just wanted to throw that out there. Definitely an MLS connection with that. But speaking of European, another transfer rumor that's sort of cropping up today, Mario Goetze to Cincinnati. Most people know him as the man that scored Germany's game-winning goal in the 2014 World Cup over, who was it, Argentina, right? Argentina. Mm-hmm. Argentina. So all I want to say about that is I think that would be a really cool move. He hasn't done much the last few years. He's been with Dortmund, and as far as I know, Cincinnati has a really big German um presence in the community so i think that would be a really cool signing i think something the fans would be really excited about do you guys have any thoughts on goods to cincinnati i wish he went to toronto fc um i would have liked him here a lot uh, especially as a fill-in for josie altador for the 40 games he's injured a year um and look he's still relatively young he's only 28 coming from a very 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 big team in dortmund uh I like the signing for Cincinnati if it happens. I don't know if that's a guarantee yet. Uh, I know MLS was a rumor, and that's been a rumor for a long time that he might come here, especially after his contract ended back in June. But I like it. Uh, I know a friend of mine, Rachel Dory, will be over the moon for it. Uh, Hopefully we'll have her on the podcast pretty soon. We've sort of teased that for a while, and maybe we should eventually get to it. But, yeah, I think it's... Good signing for MLS. It's another big-name talent from Europe coming here uh, in the prime of his career, no no less. I like it. Drew, do you have any sort of thoughts on the move? Um, When when I first saw a tweet about it, I thought there's no way that's possible. And then I kept seeing more and more outlets coming out and saying it. So I couldn't believe it at first, but yeah, I'm a huge fan. Um, I was totally pulling for Jeremy in that 2014 World Cup final. So that was cool to see him get the goal. But yeah, I think it's cool when you're just talking about Cecilio Dominguez having this weird combination of young South American talent coming in with European talent from big clubs like Dortmund um, and just all over teams in Europe. It creates a really interesting dynamic with MLS and it's just a fun league to be in. It's a very different league in that we have that weird combination of talent coming into the league that I don't think any other league in the world can say that they have. We have players like um, Ezekiel Barco, Pity Martinez, Brendan Aronson, even raising up youth players, having that talent combined with players coming over from Europe, I think creates a really cool dynamic. So I'm a very big fan of it. Um, it's cool to see a team like Cincinnati make a big splash with a transfer rumor. Whether or not it happens, 
I don't know, but I'm a big fan of it. I love them. Uh, like Josh said, there's a cool German connection with Cincinnati. So I didn't believe it at first, but if it happens, I'm a big fan of it. Only issue I have with the signing is it doesn't address their main issue, which is defending. Uh, their attack is good, but their back line and defensive midfielders are not. Um, so I don't know if you guys have any sort of thoughts on that. I don't have necessarily any thoughts on the defending, although I agree, Connor, they definitely have probably bigger issues to solve. But let's let's not hype up Goethe too much, all right? Like, yeah, he scored the game-winning goal, and that's a huge deal, and that's really cool. But, like, do you, do you guys remember anything he's done with Dortmund in the last year? Like, is he one of the guys you think of when you think of Borussia Dortmund? No, no right? Like, he's not... I just I just don't think Goethe going to Cincinnati is really that shocking. Like, no offense to him or Cincinnati, but, like, neither of them are really lighting the world on fire right now, right? Like, Cincinnati is finally figuring out how to win games, which is cool, but Goethe, like, he's got no... I don't... I'm not trying to, like, bring down MLS because I love the league, but, like, he's got, like, nowhere else to go at this point. Because he's, I disagree. he's been with Dortmund for a long time. Listen, man, what what has he been doing for Dortmund that's been impressive to you? Like he's not he's not helping that team. You got Marco Royce, you've got Sancho and Holland and a bunch of other players I'm probably forgetting about. So I I I, I don't know. But that's that's the problem, is he didn't have an opportunity to start. You know, they were going with younger talent and better talent, frankly, in Royce. Uh, and Holland and Sancho are both better than him. Uh, they brought in Julian Brandt, who is better than him and is younger, so there's more promise there. He was sort of in a tough spot where he wouldn't necessarily get playing time on Dortmund. I think he definitely would have had opportunities in other leagues, and I find it great that he's choosing to come to MLS. I think he definitely could have played for another team in Germany, easily. I'm, I agree. He probably could find another team in Germany, and I do wonder if he could make more money in MLS because he's got the name. But, I mean, I got to look up his stats real quick, but I don't think Goetze was really doing much of anything, especially... Okay, so here it is. He he only played in 15 games and only scored three goals. And I just want to go back. Like, you make a good point, Connor. Like, Dortmund always has the young talent, and maybe it's difficult for him to fly, find playing time. But you also said he's in his prime. He's 28. Like, the guy has been around for a really long time. And... Looking at it, because he he plays what size, sort of center forward and attacking midfield, so he should be and was scoring a decent amount of goals. But the dudes only had two double digit scoring seasons in in the league campaign, and that was with Dortmund in 2012-2013, and the following season with Bayern Munich 2013-2014. So he's not exactly like you know setting the world on fire, setting the leagues on fire. He just I, I just don't think he deserves all that much hype. Like he's a good player. Obviously he's got quality. And and like you said, he's in the prime of his career. So he's definitely got a lot to offer, I think, but I don't know. I I think it it would be cool to see him in MLS for sure, but I'm not sure if I would say it's necessarily a huge signing. And I, to me, it doesn't feel like he's got many options. He does have options, but. Well, he has played 231 games in the Bundesliga. He has played 82 or 62, sorry, I can't read. Glasses are fun. Uh, 62 games in the Champions League. Uh, He's won five German championships. Like, the guy's got pedigree. He's scored 57 goals in the Bundesliga 
assisted on 61. That's over 100 goal contributions in 230 games. I don't think you can just outright him as somebody who wouldn't be picked up by another team. I think he would have definitely had some pedigree to potentially end up on a team in Germany. Uh, maybe not a top team like a Bayer Leverkusen or a t- maybe even a RB Leipzig. But I think he definitely could have played on someone who was decent, just not of the pedigree of uh, Borussia Dortmund. And he was t- stuck in a tough spot. And if he can come to MLS and tear this league up, I think he has another really good shot at potentially going back to Europe and doing really well. I think this is potentially what he's looking at as a stop, uh, quick stop before he ends up back in Europe in a place to potentially either revive his career or finish it. And I like the move for him. I like the move for Cincinnati. I just like the move in general. Fair enough. Why don't we move on? Because we've gone on transfers for half an hour and (laughs) we have a lot of other stuff we have to hit. Uh, Starting with a world record. Um, <laughs> MLS Communications tweeted this out this morning. Uh, they set a world record with the MLS's back tournament because, of course, they did for the largest single location professional soccer tournament. What I want to know is how is this a real record and how much did they pay Guinness World Records to make it a real record? <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, like, there's some key verbiage being used, and that's professional league, because you've yeah. seen you've seen World Cups and Copa Americas and Euros that, or Gold Cups too, that maybe come close to lasting this long or do last this long. But when when has there ever been a need for a professional league to be in one spot for this long? So I think I think it's more of uh, an, a they're being rewarded for seizing the opportunity as opposed to like going out of their way to set a world record. You know, it's it's that's sort of what it feels like. It does feel very very dumb. Drew, do you have any thoughts on it? I mean, not really just cuz I don't think it deserves any thoughts really. It's just a weird thing. <laughs> like when I saw it in the outline, it's like that's weird. That doesn't that's not a thing, but apparently it is a thing. Um yeah, I mean, they played in one location which I mean, honestly, that's not really a good thing when you have other countries that are playing in different locations. I think that's more of a tribute to how poorly the countries handled the pandemic. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's it's a record. Good job, MLS. You had a tournament in one spot. Um, yeah, I don't even know what to say about it. It's just a weird thing that seems very MLS-y to brag about. <laughs> that's very true. Very MLS. I'd have to agree with that. That's... I don't know where they thought of this, how they thought of this, when they thought of this, why they thought they tweeted the day before the finals, as opposed to like the day or two after. I guess maybe because they're resuming regular season play the next day, which we'll get into that in a bit because we do have uh, Dan talk about how all that stuff has gone in Japan especially. But yeah, I don't know how this happened and why they'd even announce it and where it came from but congratulations mls i don't have a world record i just want to know did did guinness contact them or did mls like like i want to know how that process worked did someone in the mls like office like did some intern just realize like (laughs) oh hey guys i think we set a record and like did they contact (laughs) guinness like (laughs) 
I there's a very good John Oliver thing. He did an actual thing on the Guinness World Records, and you can pay to have a random World Cup like world record made. Ah, uh, well. So then. like random. <laughs> Very MLS thing to do is to do that. I hope they yeah. didn't spend money on that because that's just <laughs> ridiculous. That's how the league spends money. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt they did that, but it is a thing, and the John Oliver bit is very good. Uh, I think it's on YouTube, so if you look up like John Oliver Guinness World Records, it should come up. I think John Oliver is hysterical, uh, hence why I'm promoing him for free, which we shouldn't do. But there's that. Uh, yeah, I don't really know how to transition this to back. Well, I guess we can transition this back to the MLS's back tournament because we're one game away from finishing it. And we had two games happen last week, which we should get into. Uh, Orlando, Minnesota. Let's start with that because none of us got our predictions right. Well, we got it right in terms of we got the teams we picked right. Um, but Drew was giving me a very odd face like he predicted, predicted it correctly. and I picked the... I? Uh... Portland, who'd they beat? Oh my goodness. I picked the Portland-Philadelphia scoreline right. And I got one of the goal scorers right, too. I got oh. a Bobisi scoring. I was saving that for a little bit, but cool. Uh, we'll dive into that <laughs> in a second. I think we should start with the Eastern Conference because Orlando-Minnesota played first. Um, and I don't know. I don't know why we're doing this. Uh, I don't, I'm just making this stuff up on the spot. Um, <laughs> let's talk Orlando-Minnesota. What did you guys sort of think of that game? Yeah, I thought, again, I picked Minnesota to win 2 nothing. so Orlando proved me wrong. Once again, that's been their whole thing. This tournament is proving everyone wrong. Um, but I was it was really interesting to see how Orlando played. I thought they played, that first goal just came out of nowhere, I thought. I mean, the ball just innocently bounced around the back. Um, and then I forgot who played the ball to Nanny, but it was like a 65-yard assist, which is the longest assist in this tournament. And then Nani does what he does and has an incredible first touch to get by and slip it through. And then he has that incredible curler to make it 2 nothing. And to Philadelphia, Minnesota, yeah, Minnesota's credit. They fought back at the end. Um, they had, I think they forced a really good free kick save from Galese. And, yeah, they came close. Um, I thought Minnesota's goal was a phenomenal ball. Um, Mason Toy got that goal. And I think Molino passed the ball. Um, it was a really good pass. But... Yeah, I thought Orlando played very direct to Nani. Um, and when you have a player of that quality and you pay him that much money and he has that much pedigree, you can afford to play it that direct to him. Um, I spent last episode talking a lot, hyping up Hassani Dotson. And unfortunately, the poor kid just out of college had to be matched up with a Premier League winner in Manchester United. So that was unfortunate for him. And Nani kind of cooked him the whole time. Uh, to his credit, again, Nani's pretty good, and Asani Dotson just out of college. So, yeah, Nani, I mean, you pay him that much money, and he performed on it. I thought they gave him the ball, let him work his magic, and he paid through. I don't know how much it's going to work in the final, but we'll get to that later. But, yeah, Orlando, and then they got that counterattack goal when Minnesota's just throwing the kitchen sink at him. So, I mean, Nani played phenomenally. Those Both those goals were incredible. That second one, Curler, was phenomenal finish. Um, but yeah, Orlando proved me wrong again, and they kind of rode the back of Nani to do so, which when he's that good, you can get away with it. Um, Josh, what did you think of Orlando's win? Yeah, I mean, Minnesota did what they did the last few games before, and that was let Hassani Dotson neutralize the opposition's best player. He did it with Nagby. He did it with uh, 
I'm blinking on who Minnesota. Oh, with with San Jose, they used him to to help uh, overtake San Jose and their man marking system. So obviously, naturally, they they allowed him to try and stop Nani, and clearly, like you said, it just did not work. I was so impressed with. I mean. Of course he did it because he's Nani, but I was so impressed with his finesse shot, that second goal, the way he, obviously his first touch was great, but for him to get his foot wrapped around the ball like that and to just bend it perfectly around the goalkeeper who made a great move on it. Tyler Miller did the right thing. He jumped at the right time. He timed it well, and it was just an inch away from his fingertips, just enough, placed in the side netting, just a very beautiful goal. As soon as it happened, I mean... My mouth was just, my jaw was just hanging slack. I couldn't believe it. It was so great. So I think you're right, though, Drew. You know, I don't know if they can rely on Nani like that against Portland. Portland is probably going to be the most talented team they've gone up against outside of LAFC. Um, But same for me. Shouldn't have doubted Orlando. They've been proving everybody wrong every step of the way. And they deserve a lot of credit for that. But uh, what, what were your thoughts on that game, Connor? Um, I thought Orlando was good. Uh, I've, as I've been throughout this tournament, I've been impressed by them. Um, Nani, I don't know if he'll win MVP, but he should 100% be in the conversation. He's really, really done big things for that club. And I, I don't really know what else to add to you guys. Um, I just think Orlando have a legit shot. Uh, Portland are very, very talented and they've proved it, uh, so far this uh, playoffs, I guess. Do they call it the playoffs? The knockout round, probably. Knockout round? Yeah. Knockout round, playoffs, it's the same thing, just they word it differently. Um, but yeah, I don't really have much else to add to that. I think uh, Orlando has been really, really good, and Minnesota got unlucky coming up against a good team in Orlando, and they impressed me this tournament. Uh, like I didn't even expect them to get out of the group stage, so to see them go to the semifinal, I think, was pretty huge. And they fought, but they ultimately just, it just wasn't enough. Um, but yeah, why don't we hit Portland versus Philadelphia? Um, Drew, you want to start off on this game? Yeah, so like I said, I have to toot my own horn. I did get this game prediction right, and I also picked that Jeremy Abobasi would get a goal, which he did um, off a corner. But yeah, like you said, Connor, how you think Nani... Might be in the conversation for tournament MVP. I think another player you have to add that conversation is Sebastian Blanco, and he played phenomenal again against Philadelphia. Um, he got the second goal, I think, and this was a fun game. You had Philadelphia had an offside controversy where it looked like, I don't remember who the player was, but it looked like half of his foot was offside, so that's why they took the goal away. So it was a really entertaining game. But again, it was Portland doing what Portland does. I think they had 38 position possessed percent possession 38 to 40 they let philadelphia have the ball um i thought diego Chara was incredible because last episode we talked a lot about brendan aronson playing absolutely phenomenal against sporting kansas city i think was the team they beat last time um and i thought diego Chara was huge in limiting his touches on the ball and yeah portland did what portland did they let philadelphia have the ball and Chara limited arguably philadelphia's best player a young talent like aronson so I was impressed by Portland. Um, this seems this knockout round seems like it's fitting their style very well, and that little four four one one four four two, however you want to call it, 
where they sit back, they're patient, they're disciplined when they do sit back. So I was very impressed with them. Um, I think it's going to suit them well in the final, the way they play. But we'll get in that more when I when we do final predictions. Um, but Philadelphia, they had a really good tournament. Something to look forward to in the future. Um, they gave Portland all they can handle there in the end with or with an offside call that was a foot away from leveling the game. So it was a really entertaining game. But Portland was very impressive, and I think they for sure earned their way to the final. Josh, what did you think about Portland's win? Yeah, definitely some really similar thoughts. I, I picked a 2-2 draw with Portland going through on penalties. And if it weren't for that offside call, which was literally inches, I probably would have gotten that prediction right. But, you know, you're talking about Brendan Aronson. And for, yeah, you know, for the most part, I don't think he really showed up. And and you can attribute a lot of that to Diego Chara, of course. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, Portland just has so much more talent that I wasn't sure if Aronson was ever really going to get to play the game he might want to. That being said, he certainly had his moments. That sequence leading up to the offside call, I mean, he was phenomenal. I think what he won the ball and then his combination play in and around the box, and he played that back heel to Shavilko. That was so close to being another goal. Uh, you know, you just got to give the kid props for essentially putting the team on his back in those final minutes to try and help get that equalizer. So good for him for having another solid showing. It's looking more and more every day like he's going to go off to Germany. So hopefully we'll learn more about that soon, whether that's in the next week or so with the transfer window opening or that's in the winter, you know, we'll find out. But at the end of the day, you know, it comes down to Portland and their talent and they just, just outplayed Philadelphia and I don't think any of us can really say we were so surprised about that and we talked about you know does Valeri come off the bench does he start he started which in hindsight obviously was the right move but I think we can all agree was going to be a good move regardless because he brings so much veteran presence and he really changes how that team plays when he's on the field so whether he was going to be starting or coming off the bench that already is an advantage because Philadelphia doesn't have Diego Valeri and if you don't have Valeri or Blanco or Chara I mean, those three guys, they just get it done. So in hindsight, I don't really know if Philadelphia ever really stood a chance, but you're right, Drew. Props to them. They had a good tournament. They can build off this. What are some of your thoughts, Connor? Everything you guys said again. I feel like I'm just repeating what you have both already said. Um, I thought Portland was very impressive, as always. Uh, I hope this isn't the last time we see Aronson in MLS, but if it is, I'm not going to be upset because it means he's going on to bigger and better things in Europe, and it'll be another export from MLS, which is always a good thing. Um, look, Blanco is just improved, like shown the league that he is as good as everyone thinks he is, and if not even better. He's proven throughout this tournament that he knows what he's doing. He clearly uh, he can carry this team, even if Valeri isn't necessarily a central figure on it. Uh, whether it be him coming off the bench. Uh, I still side with the fact that I think Valeri should come off the bench, especially against this Orlando team, but we'll get into that in terms of the preview. Um, but yeah, I, I thought Philadelphia had a good tournament. Uh, I do want to ask you guys, do you think that play was offside? Yes, and the reason why I do think it was offside is someone, I don't know the Twitter account, but they go in and they, they do the lines after the fact. They, they take a still shot 
and then they used the perspective of the lines to figure out. And it, it was, according to their calculations, it was just slightly offside. So at the end of the day, they called it offside in the game, right? And then they kept it offside. There wasn't enough for them to overturn it. And that is how the system is supposed to work. Whether or not you agree with that is a whole other subject. But at the end of the day, if the error is not clear and obvious, you don't overturn it. And so I think in this specific instant, I, I wanted it to be onside because I wanted the chaos of a 2-2 game for the last couple of minutes. You know, I, I want to see the frenetic mls action we all know and love. But at the end of the day, they followed the process. And so I think it was the right call. What do you think, Drew? Yeah, I think in that instance, the, the phrase clear and obvious, the phrase we love to hear when it comes to MLS, but... In that instance, whatever call was on the field needed to stand. Um, and like you said, the call on the field was that he was offside. And I'm like you, I wanted him to be on so bad. It looked like maybe half of his foot was offside. It wasn't wasn't even a full 12 inches. It was a matter of inches that he was offside. But they called it off on the field. Um, and I think about it if the other way, if they had called it a goal on the field, would it have been enough to overturn it if they looked at it with VAR? And I don't think it was clear and obvious enough to take away a goal had they called it a goal on the field. So I think they made the right decision sticking with the call that was made on the field. Um, and I haven't seen the tweet Josh is referring to, but if the lines make sense and the lines prove that he was off, then credit to the official for making a really tight call but making it correctly. Um, again, selfishly, I wanted it to be onside so we can have chaos and go into penalties. But right call, and the process was followed well. So, yeah, good call. What did you think about it, Connor? Uh, I thought it was the correct call. I agree with the whole clear and obvious thing. Uh, I believe they follow the same system in terms of the NHL uh, on their reviews. Um, although those are a little different because you have to challenge uh, a play in order to have it reviewed. Uh, unless... The offices in Toronto say no, uh, but again, I'm getting into hockey and I shouldn't be. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was the right call. It did cost Philadelphia quite a uh, their tournament, but it is what it is. Uh, it's just an unfortunate outcome, and even if there hadn't been VAR, uh, it might have been something where you were screaming for VAR, but now that we have it and they looked at it and it was clear, we can all sort of sleep easily and understand that it wasn't actually that much of an egregious mistake if it even wasn't a mistake which I don't think it was um let's sort of move on from the semifinals because we do have an interview to get to and we want to talk about the games back in home markets which some of us have some very strong feelings on hint hint nudge nudge uh so final I think we'll sort of do this a little quickly because by the time this podcast comes out it'll probably only be a few hours until the actual game uh what are your guys sort of predictions for it and who do you think will be the best option in terms of champions league who do you think will do the best in champions league because that's what they're ultimately playing for so i think this is an extremely even matchup on paper when you look at the way these two teams have approached the tournament orlando is a team that wants the ball and they want to pass all over the field they will play through you, over you. It doesn't even matter. They've just been really good at everything. So I think that's important. And then for Portland, 
they're a team that doesn't necessarily want the ball. Drew mentioned earlier their 38% possession against Philadelphia, which, by the way, took away Philadelphia's strength, which was counterattacks. So I'm wondering if Orlando's desire for the ball and Portland's non-desire for the ball will clash at all if we sort of see a stalemate. Personally, I'm expecting a 1-1 draw, and I think Orlando's going to go through on penalties. I do also want to point out that about a month and a half ago, I picked Portland to win the entire tournament. So either way, I win here because I'm picking both of them to win, essentially. So, <laughs> yeah, so I can I can either say, hey, I got this right all along, or I'm picking right now because I went against Orlando in the last round, and regrettably so, because they just dominated Minnesota. So that's my thoughts on this. It really does feel like both of these teams, their strengths really clash against each other in an even way. So I'm super excited for how this turns out. What are you guys thinking about this game? I don't know if we want to allow Josh to do this. I don't know if we want to let him have a win-win situation. <laughs> I think we might have to force him to pick one team. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Drew, why don't you go ahead? Because I still have to bring my pick. <laughs> yeah, I am. And also, um, before I make my prediction, we reached out to some of the website contributors. Um, and we got eight responses from other writers rather than us three talking to you. And I believe, I'm, if I'm counting right, uh, five of the eight contributors are picking Orlando wins. Um, a couple of those in penalty kicks, and three of them are picking Portland wins. So the website's kind of even um, about who's going to win it all. Um, but I am on the Portland side of things. And I just want to say, as a fan, this is like the worst possible final. Because there's like that Vancouver Whitecap side of me, right? <laughs> that just cannot stand the Portland Timbers or anything Cascadia. And there's the Elaine United side of me that can't stand Orlando. But I digress. Um, I am picking the Portland Timbers to nothing uh, pretty quickly. To provide reasoning, I think Diego Chara is going to tear it up again. I think he's going to be really big in limiting Nani's service. Um, I think Nani's still going to get his chances, but I think they're going to be a little lower quality chances. And you just got to hope that he doesn't have another bending curler like he had last game. So I think Diego Chara is going to be huge. Um, I think Diego Chara and Eric Williamson are going to be very big for Portland in this game. Uh, And then they're going to get the ball to um, Sebastian Blanco, Diego Valeri, and they're going to do what they do. So I am picking a Portland 2 nothing win. Connor, what is your prediction? Uh, well, any Toronto Maple Leafs fan, I'm pulling it back to hockey for a second, will remember <laughs> this score quite not fondly. Um, I'm going 4-1 to Portland. Uh, I think it's Beat going down. to... Beat down, holy cow. I think it's going to be close late in the match, and Orlando's going to go all out, and Portland will counterattack a couple times and score a couple extra goals because they'll be a bit more exposed at the back end. Uh, I could see it being close as well, like a 2-1 win for Portland, but I think they will ultimately pull it out because Orlando will push too hard and it'll just cost them. Um, Also, because it's just funny uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs (laughs) 4-1 and Boston 2013, because why not? Uh, I like pain. Um, let's run I, through. Hold on, I gotta say real quick. Some of y'all are crazy for picking this many goals in a final. Like, I think Drew's prediction is fine because there's only two, and then myself and like two other contributors picked one-one draws. But Connor, three goal five, games in here. Five goals. Sam Minton has five goals in here. Dan Garza with four goals. Like that is just crazy to me. And then one other thing I want to say is. 
you know, I was talking about how even this game seems like it's going to be, and Drew sort of mentioned it, but it looks like it's half and half between the people that made predictions. I think there's 10 or 11 of us, and I think it's like five Portland, five Orlando, and all but like three of the score predictions are by one goal or less. So that just speaks to how well both of these teams have played and how it's sort of a crash course of what looks like is the best two teams in the tournament. Yeah. Uh, I think I'd have to agree. Um, it's been a pretty insane tournament. I just think there's going to be a lot of goals in this thing. And I don't know. I think they're both going to go all out. Go all out and because they're both going to go all out late in the game, uh, Portland's going to be able to counterattack a couple times and ultimately rack up a couple more goals on Orlando. But I could definitely see it, see it being much, much closer. And with my history of predictions absolutely failing... Uh, it'll probably be like 1-1 on penalties. Although Josh picked that, so it now won't be that. It'll be a beatdown in terms of Orlando winning because he had Portland winning the first time, so he can't get everything perfectly right with the history of how our MLS predictions have gone. But I digress. <laughs> Let's dive into what other contributors picked uh, in terms of their selections. Uh, we'll go basically on the list of when people sort of gave us predictions. And we'll start with friend of the show, Ivar Nellis. I picked, ended up going with a 2-1 Portland. So he did go with three goals, which Josh might not be a huge fan of, but I think that's going to be realistic outcome. Uh, I assume you guys don't have anything to add. I guess we can sort of talk about any of sort of the notable ones because a lot of these games do end like 2-1, 1-1. Like our next game where Alex Windley, who we mentioned earlier on the podcast, who's been doing some really good work, uh, she chose 2-1 to one for Orlando. Uh, and then Nathan Reynolds picked the exact same scorer uh, line for the match. Um, do you guys have any sort of thoughts on all three of them picking 2-1 wins? I think it's a likely outcome. You know, the, again, it's a final, so... There's just naturally not going to be that many goals, I don't think. That's just usually how soccer finals go. They're usually kind of cagey, kind of wait out and see, feel the game out a little bit. But that's a that's a safe scoreline, I think. I think most people want with solid scorelines. I'd have to agree. I don't think we have anything to add, but I think we will have something to add, or at least Josh will, with this next scoreline from Daniel Garza. He went with 3-1 to one for Portland. Uh, four goal thriller. Uh, do you guys have any sort of thoughts on that? It's too many goals, but <laughs> him and you both. Yeah, clearly. And we'll get into Sam's pick in a second, but yeah, we've predicted a few goals on this one. Uh, but most people have kept it safe, like Ryan and Cameron, who uh, both went with one once uh, on with Orlando winning on penalties uh, as Josh did, but we're not going to talk about that because we already know he's going to be wrong. Uh, Cameron did add, sorry, Gio. So sorry, Gio. Uh, I'm blanking on who that is. I don't know why. Gio Savarese. Savarese manager, right, for Portland? He must like Gio Savarese a lot, I guess. Is he the Portland Timbers writer? I don't think so. Is that what he's saying? Man. I want to say Red Bulls. Yeah, I, he's, I believe he's in New York. So I, maybe well, Gio Savarese did play for the New York Cosmos. So uh, and was, and coached them at one point. That would be the connection then. Uh, but yeah, shout out Cameron. Uh, we're skipping Josh because we're skipping Josh. Uh, 
Sam Mitten then had another interesting scoreline. He followed me with the five-goal thriller and went 3-2 to two for Orlando. So that's going to be a nutty game if that happens. Uh, Josh is just shaking his head, so clearly he doesn't like it. I, no, I would love if that happened. I just, I just cannot see it happening. Like that would just be the most out. You know what? It's probably going to happen now, just because of twenty twenty. It's going to happen just because of how freaking outrageous it is. Twenty twenty, anything is possible. If you haven't figured that out by now, get out from under the rock you're living under. Uh, and finally, we'll wrap it up with Nathan Dunn, who has picked, predicted a 2-1 to one Portland win. Another more level-headed take. Um, I like every single pick. I think that I'll be entertaining games. There wasn't any that are just like incredibly boring, like one nothing wins. 1-1's uh, a little boring, a little slow. Uh, but, hey, you do you. Uh, I went with 4-1, so I can't really speak on this. Let's sort of move on from the final because we have been going for an hour and we still have a around a 15-minute interview after this. Um, but we did want to quickly touch on games being back in stadiums. Uh, I guess we'll start off with you two because you're more Amer- you're Americans and it'll affect you two more directly than it will, I guess, affect me. Um, even though I do have some thoughts on it, so I'll let you guys sort of take the floor on this. I don't have too much to to add to this. You know, I've been pretty, I think, outspoken from the start just about how the league and the country specifically has handled the pandemic, which is poorly. I don't think it's a good idea for fans to come back. And uh, I touch on it in the interview with Dan coming up in a little bit. But Japan has, has sort of figured out a way to have fans in the stands. And we do briefly discuss why we both don't think it'll work. In MLS and the states specifically, sort of a culture issue of fans not following protocols, and we saw that even bleed into teams like Dallas and Nashville, who have games coming up this week, which I'm sure we'll touch on next week. But I'm not in favor of it. I wish the league and the teams would wait. I I know that the, the owners really want to stop the financial bleeding. I know they want to make as much money as possible. It just doesn't feel like the right way to go about it. So. I'm not a fan of it, and I wish there would be more common sense from the the league that we love so much. Yeah, I am on the same boat. I'm not a fan of it. I mean, I get, like Josh said, you want to stop the bleeding as far as losing money goes, but I mean, at what point does that get over into just putting fans and players' um, safety at risk? And I'm sure Connor will have takes on it as well, begin to the Canadian teams. Um, I saw one thing where it was, Toronto FC, New York Rebels, and NYCFC sharing the same training facility, which that just seems preposterous. Um, and you look at the Major League Baseball that has done this, um, playing teams in home markets, and it feels like that's the league that's gone through the most troubles when you had the Miami Marlins. Um, now it's seeing the St. Louis Cardinals are going through a very, very outbreak, and I think the Philadelphia Phillies also. Whereas MLS, NHL, NBA, NWSL have done really good jobs of being in this bubble and it's worked perfectly um, well not perfectly you have teams dropping out but it's worked pretty well I would say um, NBA and NHL not having a single case that I know of and no teams dropping out and the NWCL and MLS made teams leave with the Orlando Pride um, Nashville and Dallas so I think the bubble has proven that it's a very good method um, if you follow the protocols you can get in the bubble participate in the tournament and have your time there with little to no infections. Um, so the home market thing, opening it up to fans, seems a little too soon. 
um, especially with a league like MLS with teams on the north side of the border in Canada where you have different protocols in different states, so you can imagine how different it is between United States and Canada as both countries have gone through this pandemic very differently. So with that, I'm going to leave it to Connor about the Canadian side of things, but I do not think it's a good idea. So Connor... What are your takes on games being in home markets? Well, we all agree on the fact that it's a terrible idea. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily going to be a controversial one uh, with what you have seen in the MLB, uh, where I think the Cardinals had 13 cases and Marlins had over 20. I think the Phillies have had two. Um, You look at what happened with the Cubs today, where two players were caught going out on the town uh, one night. Uh, it might not, not have been Cubs. It might have been in Chicago, but two players were caught. Uh, going Cleveland in. player yeah. went out in Chicago, got sent home. Yeah, So and they were on the same plane the n- next day. So I just, I don't know if you can trust your players and staff to follow protocols. I don't want the Canadian teams going down there because Canada is a lot safer and we've seen what would have what has happened with the Blue Jays and how much of a nightmare that has been uh, with them not even having a stadium right now. They're still waiting for Buffalo to be finished so that they can actually play there. And I don't want that happening again with Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver. Uh, I know that Red Bulls theory where they were going to play in the Red Bull Stadium was apparently uh, squashed by Ali Curtis who said that they hadn't decided on a stadium yet, uh, but they will not be doing it in uh, North or in Canada because the government already turned the Jays away, and I don't think they'll allow three other teams to have games. Um, but yeah, I just think it's a terrible idea, especially having fans in stands. If you are a fan do and your team is allowing fans to go, do not go. This virus is insanely serious and is deadly. So don't put your life at risk. It's not just a flu. Um, If you've gotten through this podcast to this point, you probably already know that. But if you haven't, don't go, uh, please. That's just a terrible idea. And I don't like it on the fans' point of view or for the players' point of view either. Uh, When you look at... Bill Hamid, I believe, earlier said he wasn't a huge fan of having to be in a bubble. So what are players like that who who don't necessarily take this virus completely seriously going to do? I just think it's too risky for the potential financial gains. I don't think it's worth it when you look at the risk involved and how it could potentially be a massive PR hit, especially when you look at what has happened with baseball. But... Who knows? It's ultimately MLS's decision, and we may not agree with it, but it is their final call, so we'll just have to see what they do. Um, Do you guys have anything you want to add? No? All right. Why don't we jump into the interview then? Uh, Josh, you want to give us a little preview on who Dan is? Yeah, so Dan is from Philadelphia. He spent a year i think he said in japan during college ended up staying out there afterwards and he now covers the j league for the largest english-speaking publication in japan so he'll talk a little bit about himself in the interview as well but we just discuss how the j league is handling having fans and why mls might not be able to achieve the same success 
that Japan is experiencing. So uh, without further ado, please enjoy that interview. All right. Welcome to the pod. A special guest this week, Dan Orlowitz. He is currently in Japan. And Dan, thank you so much for being on the MLS Multiplex, Multiplex podcast with us. How are you today? I'm good, Josh. Thanks for having me. I uh, hope you're doing well, too. Doing all right. Things are still a little crazy here stateside. Before we get jumped in talking about how the J-League has been doing with their fans in attendance and MLS's idea to bring fans in attendance in the next couple weeks, uh, give us a little bit of background on yourself for our listeners. Uh, well, I'm born and raised in Philadelphia. Uh, went... I uh, went to college up in Massachusetts uh, at a s- small, tiny school nobody's ever heard of, and uh, I ended up doing my junior year in Japan uh, here in Tokyo in 2004-2005, uh, loved it, went back to the States, graduated, came back here, so I've been here since the end of '06. Uh, started going to J-League games in 2007 and started blogging and writing about it and it turned into a job eventually and now I'm a a sports writer at the Japan Times which is our biggest English language newspaper. Very cool, very cool. So I saw you tweet out a couple days ago. You were looking to give some insight to some people stateside about how Japan has been handling having fans in attendance and obviously that topic has started to pick up a lot here with MLS wanting to bring fans uh, to certain markets, notably Dallas, which, as we all know by now, one of the teams that had to drop out of the MLS's back tournament for all their positive cases. So before we start talking about MLS specifically, let's get some background on the J-League. When did they bring fans back in and sort of what were some of the protocols that they've been employing to, to keep the disease from spreading over there? Uh, well, just to to sort of lay lay the scene to set the scene for that, uh, the J League started in late February, and we got in basically one round of the league, and then they had basically two days after the league started, the first and second divisions, uh, they suspended it because that was around when COVID was really starting to hit Japan, and they were worried about infections. So the league was suspended from the end of February through basically the end of June. Uh, It resumed in late June with the second and third divisions. Uh, The first division restarted on July 4th, and then they started letting fans back in uh, a week later uh, from July 10th. So we've had uh, limited attendance. Uh, The rule is a maximum of 5,000 fans or 50% of stadium capacities whichever is the lower number. And originally, uh, we were going to have uh, more than that. They were going to raise the limit to 50% of stadium capacity across the board from August 1st, but we've uh, gotten uh, an increase in cases. I think Japan is getting around at least 1,000, 1,500 cases a day, somewhere in that range. And I know that those numbers... (laughs) pale in comparison i like i i say i know i say those numbers and you guys back in the states with 50,000 cases a day are like well what's there to worry about with that but like here uh there's a lot of anxiety and the government hasn't been consistent in how it's handling things but 
the leagues, uh, baseball and soccer, have decided to stick with the 5,000 cap and through at least the end of August and uh, possibly going forward. So that that's sort of where we're at. So did the government impose the cap at 5,000, the half stadium attendance, or was that done by the league itself? The government uh, has its its recommendations and has its its regulations for large scale events. Uh, the prefectures, sort of state equivalents, all have their own levels and, and sort of individual states of emergency and warning systems. And uh, Pennsylvania, where I'm from, has its red, yellow, green system for each uh, county. And so it's sort of similar here that each each municipality has some leeway to determine how much it's going to allow. But the uh, J-League and NPB, which is our baseball league, they've had a task force going since the since early March, really, uh, working together to come up with their own standards, and they have their own medical experts who are both listening to the government's experts and doing their own research and coming up with uh, policies for the leagues to consider and implement. So it's a combination of everything. I mean, the government has its recommendations, and that's sort of the base. And then the leagues are deciding what they're comfortable with and establishing their own standards. Awesome. It sounds pretty similar to what MLS is attempting to do. Each state, they've sort of got their own regulations as far as how they're handling the virus especially with how different it is from state to state, right? So much worse in some of the states. And the league is trying to plan accordingly. It's, it kind of seems like they're allowing teams to do what they want, depending on what's going on in their state. Now, that being said, do you think it's worked so far for J-League? Have they done a good job of not spreading COVID at these games and these sporting events from having a few thousand fans in attendance? Or have the, has that sort of been an issue? As far as among the fans, uh, we haven't had any issues as far as we're aware. Uh, the fans are required to wear masks. They're required to sit apart. Uh, no alcohol sales. No alcohol consumption. It used to be that you could just bring drinks into the stadium. If they found it, you, know, you had to transfer your beer from a can to a paper cup. There's a tent for that at the entrance, but you could do that. Now they're saying, well, you can't drink because the more you drink, the longer your mask is down. And the more you get inebriated, the less you'll be able to follow the rules, which are pretty strict, uh, especially in terms of they can't sing, they can't cheer, they can't do chants, they can't wave flags, they can't stand up. Basically anything that they could possibly do to get close to someone or spread droplets or any of that stuff, uh, you're not allowed to do. And it's worked here because fans will listen to the clubs and to the league when they say, pretty please don't do this. Would that fly in the U.S.? I don't think, like... That's an excellent point. <laughs> knowing the... No, I mean, I I have lots of... of Friends who are MLS fans and, and who are very conscientious of what's happening. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a union fan. 
I know that they've been very good in terms of mask wearing and social distancing at those public uh, viewing parties they've been having down at uh, Subaru Park. I guess I've got to use get used to calling it that. Um, but, you know, are you really going to get 5,000 FC Dallas fans to, you know, to not cheer, to not use instruments, to not wave flags? Like, are they, are they really going to go along with that? I don't know. And, and America can't even agree on whether or not wearing a mask is okay. So, like, guys, what are we doing here? Yeah, they things have been. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast, and we've talked about it some on on tonight's podcast too, as well. Especially with this news coming down and the schedule finally announced, but obviously things are super inconsistent again from state to state. Luckily here in Atlanta, where I am, in Georgia, Atlanta United is just not going to have any fans at all for these first, I think, the six matches that have been announced so far. Now, whether or not they end up opening the stadium, which I hope they don't, I don't want the club I'm most closely associated with to be irresponsible in that sense. So, and you're absolutely right. Obviously, the cultures in these two countries are pretty different. You know, we've seen a lot of... I mean, just around the world, tons of mask wearing, especially compared to the U.S. You're exactly right. Can't even agree on to whether or not that's the right thing to do. So, you know, I don't know. (laughs) I can't speak to the fans here if they're really going to follow any regulations that are set, or even if the clubs are going to be super strict about some of those regulations that they set. We've already seen the USL. They've had fans in attendance at their matches, which has been surprising and even They've been having issues with their own players and staffs at different clubs. I don't know if there have been any issues with fans. I haven't really seen anything in terms of any spread from that. But I don't recall seeing every single fan wearing masks in the few USL crowds that I've seen. So hopefully, if it's done by MLS, they don't change their minds in the next couple weeks before all of the clubs get back in action. They do a good job with it. Now... In Japan, you said the cases have been rising a little bit relative to how things have been in Japan. Is there any chance that they're going to increase the amount of people they allow at the matches? Do you see that happening anytime soon, or, or what's what do you think is going to happen with that? I think that um, the league, the J-League especially, and how it's conducted itself... Uh, they've been very forward-thinking compared to the rest of the country. Uh, the J-League decided to suspend uh, play before the government said anything. They didn't wait for government instructions. They took the lead and said, no, this looks hinky. We're going to stop things and do the right thing. And uh, they have been very aware of the national mood, which has come up in, in conversations and in press conferences and just that there is nervousness about holding big events. And so I think that right now, baseball is running with 5,000 people, soccer is running with 5,000 people, and the public is tolerant of that. I think that there's a big difference between, say, Kashua Reisol, who play at a stadium that fits about 12,000 people, going up to 50%, because that's really only an increase of 1,000 and Urawa Reds, who play in a stadium that seats 63,000 people, going up to 50%, because that's going from 5,000 all the way up to 
you know, 30, 31,000. And that's a huge difference. I mean, I've, I've been to that stadium uh, twice so far this season, and it's probably the first time I've ever had covering games at Saitama Stadium where I can get a seat on the train. It's, there's only one train line going up there, and it's packed. It's packed going up, it's packed going back, because that's, like, that's the last stop on the train, and then you got to walk a mile, basically. Like, you can't have safe physical distancing with a situation like that where everyone's using public transit. So, as it stands, right now we're getting max 5,000 through the end of August, it's really hard to imagine a scenario where we're going to get up to 50% this season. I mean, if things do calm down in September, October, maybe they'll want bigger crowds for the finale. You know, it's really hard to say, but right now it's 5,000 fans and something I forgot to mention, no away supporters. There's no sections for away supporters. Uh, you can only buy tickets generally if you are were a season ticket holder or a fan club member, and you know you can't wear any you know visiting team uniforms or whatever in the stadium just in case like you're local and get a ticket somehow. Because of course it's a small country, so you do have a lot of sort of not expat, but you know. Uh, fans from other prefectures or across the country who live in Tokyo, especially, and they'll travel to a lot of their teams away games because the Tokyo area is pretty big. So uh, it's pretty tough, but the league and the clubs are doing a lot uh, for sort of the whole stay home and, you know, support from home, cheer from home. Uh, They're calling across the country. They're calling games with no fans, remote matches, just the idea that a closed-door game is more of a penalty. It's more of a punishment, whereas this is circumstance. So uh, they're doing things like tip jars uh, through this, the streaming service, where sort of if you like the play, you can click the tip button and donate money to the team, essentially. Uh, more teams are doing pre-match stuff on YouTube, Instagram Live, that sort of thing. Just things to keep the home fans engaged and, and to to recognize that, like, yeah, you can't go to the stadium and it sucks, but we're going to make it, we're all going to get through it together, essentially. It sounds like MLS could take a few really good ideas from J-League. I especially like the tip idea because at the end of the day, all of the decisions that MLS is making, it feels like it's because of money. And there's you know, well-known history about MLS and how they, you know, quote-unquote, are losing money every single year. And it really feels like the owners are pushing to have fans at matches to really stop the financial bleeding. So I hope, I really hope that somehow these teams can incorporate ideas like the tip jar idea. I really like that idea. I think that's a way to at least get some money in while being safe. And another point that you brought up, you're saying that the the league has been very aware of the mood, the general mood from fans, and it doesn't quite feel like that in MLS. Again, it's sort of like a disconnect here in the States where it does feel like maybe it is kind of 50-50 in terms of people wanting to go to games and not go to games, depending on the market, but it, it doesn't really feel like the league is, is quite listening. So um, I think that's all the time we have for today with you, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us and bringing us some perspective 
uh, from Japan. Really appreciate having you on. No problem. Thanks for having me. I hope, hope everyone listening uh, stays safe. You know, wear your masks, wash your hands. Uh, you know, I, I know we all, we all want to go back to the stadiums, and I've been very lucky in my role as a reporter to be able to go back to the stadium uh, once a week. But uh, it, it, it's weird out there, man. It, it's weird, and uh, I look forward to it being normal again one day. <laughs> I think that's all I got. I, that's all I can really say. I think we're definitely all in agreement on that. Everybody wants it to to go back as, to normal as much as possible, especially with attending games. But thank you again so much, Dan. I look forward to hopefully having you on again in the future. And uh, that's all for the interview. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. So yeah, big thanks uh, to Dan Orlovitz for coming on. And yeah, feel free. And we encourage you guys to check his workout as he's covering the J League. And yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, we're getting a little long now, but thank you guys so much. And as always, please go visit MLSMultiplex.com for really awesome written content uh, surrounding the tournament and the final. And as we have games again, uh, writers are going to continue putting out really good stuff. So please visit the website MLSMultiplex.com. Uh, follow MLS Multiplex on Twitter at MLS Multiplex. Uh, myself at underscore Drew Hubbard, Connor at CWG Somerville, and Josh at Josh underscore Bolin. And feel free, please leave us a review um, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, we really appreciate the feedback and learning how we can get better. So thank you guys so much for listening. Please visit the website and enjoy the final. One final game in MLS's back tournament. So enjoy the final. Watch our predictions be totally wrong, but it's fine. It's MLS. We love it. So thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex podcast. Check out all of the contributors' written work at MLSMultiplex.com. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.